I think when the pressure comes, I think I like just to kind of revert back to type and revert back to the basics, which is can we can we run? Are we running hard enough? Are we playing the simple passes? Are we doing the basics well? And maybe because that's the type of player that I am and the position that I am, I think if you nail them, then you give yourself half a chance. Hi there, folks. It's Steve Ingham here and a very warm welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. So I'm a performance scientist by trade and and I'm fascinated by the world of high performance, but not that world of performance that a lot of people think about, which is that sort of just push, push, push. More is better. I want to find a better way to create performance. And so during this podcast mission that we've been on over the last few years, we're just keen to connect with people that have been there and done it. So the, the athletes and the coaches, and but also the people who've, who've really got in, into the depths of understanding performance. And so that means talking to researchers and, and people who have, have explored and understood concepts of performance in real depth. In these conversations, I want to try and unearth some of the inner workings, the insights and the inspiration from those people so that you might be able to benefit too. This week I speak to Steph Houghton and Steph is the England football captain having played for her country over 120 times and Steph has seen the women's game evolve from effectively amateur days to the rise in popularity of the game in Britain and around the world to the women's super league and now to the women's game selling out stadia. During this time, Steph has had to evolve, adapt and respond to the growing pressures of playing for her country, taking on the captaincy, World Cup final successes and disappointments, becoming a household name and to leading others. And the conversation with Steph was really interesting because she had this quiet resolve, this inner steel, almost a stoicism, all in service of trying to be the best that she can and take the opportunities in front of her. I felt talking to Steph that there was just a genuine values-driven commitment to her craft and profession, all while honouring the role and responsibility that she now recognises she holds, and that is to be a role model, a role model for the people that she plays with, the game and a community of people looking up to her. Very warm welcome to the podcast, Steph. How are you? How's the Achilles? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, finally on the mend. I've been frustrated the last few weeks, but um, I think probably from previous injuries and um, obviously speaking to a lot of people, obviously time's <laughs> the best healer. So it's it's been a few more weeks than we would have thought, but ultimately uh, at this moment in time, just focused on the Olympics ahead. Okay, so immediately into the goal. Are you... Are you <laughs> I'm getting a sense of that sort of just maybe are you are you holding back a little bit in terms of just making a hundred percent sure that your recovery's good rather than perhaps just forcing it for a upcoming fixture or something? Yeah, I mean, um I think for me as a person I'd push myself through anything to play for my club and my country and um I think at one stage I was trying to do that and I think sometimes you have to have a bit more perspective from other people and obviously what is actually going on at the end of this season. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it didn't, 
I didn't really like the idea of maybe missing games for Man City or for England or missing a camp. But I think when you get to the age that I am and you've got a big opportunity of playing ahead of Olympic Games, I'm just kind of like, right, OK, I just need to be a little bit selfish in comparison to normal and get my body right to hopefully represent my my country in Olympic Games again. So, yeah, I think you have loads of conversations in your head and you're like, yeah, I can push through, I can push through the pain. And then you're like, but if you break down, you're going to miss something that's going to be absolutely unbelievable. So um, I think it's been a tough few months, but ultimately, like you said, the, the biggest goal is to go to Olympic Games in Tokyo. Well, so so I'm, I'm going straight into this now. You've you sort of, almost before your international career started, you've had a, you had a few severe injuries, didn't you? Was it 2007, 2009? So you're sort of... Speaking from a bank of experience there, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, just my first major injury was in 2007, which I'd literally just been picked to go to a World Cup with England. Um, I I suffered the injury doing a, um, a strength session, doing plyometrics and managed to have a spiral fracture um, in my leg from tripping over. And that meant I would miss my first ever World Cup and being the youngest player at a World Cup um ever so obviously that's quite hard to take and um I think then the next one was 2009 which was a bigger injury and um, which was a contact injury I'd, I'd ruptured my ACL and um, did a lot more stuff to my knee that probably other people don't really realize so that was I think obviously you don't want to be missing major tournaments but I was out for nearly a year with that injury which I think when you speak about experience and um the way that my mindset is and how I've overcame obstacles. A lot of it that is to do with them two injuries and bouncing back and trying to be resilient and try to take the positives out of a, a negative situation and try and make myself better as a as a player and a person. Mm, wow. And so what does a typical day look f- like for you at the moment if you're balancing this recovery but also trying to you know maintain your fitness? Yeah, um, well, a typical day over the last few weeks is um, just because of COVID and the protocols at a club, I think the day is very much shortened, so we have to be out of the building at two. So to be able to get everything done um, and actually have some time off in the day, I tend to get up at like out six in the morning and I'm fortunate enough to have like a little bit of a mini gym in my house. Um, so I get up, I get up on the bike, I do my bike session, so I do all my off-feet conditioning session really early in the morning. So when I go into training, um, I see the physio, I get a bit of treatment and then it's kind of like rehab um, probably a little bit of stuff like associated with my calves, a lot of calf loading because Achilles tendons like load. Um, then going into my strength session and then probably finish off with some sort of mad strength circuit or mad conditioning again, upper body. So it's been quite intense, um, but that would be a typical day over the last few weeks. But now I'm progressing a little bit more and I'm on the pitch, I'm on the ball again, thank God. And um, it's kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now. Those those um, those moments when you get injured and, and sort of my experience of working with players and athletes around, around this area is their head drops and they go, oh, no, another, another, another setback. And... I always often see their face light up to say uh, when we say no, 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 we can keep you busy. Don't you worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can set some. <laughs> we can set some tough training 
regimes and it sort of feels like oh there's purpose to this this you know i'm still working hard mm-hmm. rather than just sort of lounging about do you get that same sense too yeah i mean as soon as i think um in terms of my mindset obviously this one was a bit of a weird injury because i hadn't been i haven't missed much football over the last god probably like six seven years now and i hardly missed any matches so this is a bit like of like oh I don't really like missing out. I don't like missing training. I don't like missing games. But I think as as soon as I knew that we were going to rehab this properly and I was going to get myself right, I said, oh, S&C coach, I was like, right, okay, you need to work as hard now. I was like, I need to come in and know that when I've come in and I'm going home, I've done something and I've done something that's going to make me better for when I'm allowed on the pitch and I'm, I feel as fit as I possibly can without running. So that was definitely my mindset. I'm I'm definitely an athlete that likes to work hard. I like to feel as though I've got a sweat on. I've I've worked to, towards something in the day, even if it's something so small. So, um, yeah, that was definitely the case when we had that conversation. I was like, right, okay, no matter. I don't care if I'm in every day, as long as I'm doing, whether it's conditioning, whether it's stuff in the gym. I want to get stronger. I can get more powerful without being able to run and. Um, I think obviously all the tests that I've had over the last few weeks have definitely shown that the hard work's kind of paid off a little bit. Amazing. Have you always had that sort of character of of sort of taking the, the situation by the scruff of the neck, that that sense of, I, I love that idea of, of you kind of directing the S&C coach, right, come on, let's let's go, this is what I need. Have you had that sense? Um, I think I've already had a sense, maybe not that directiveness. I think it's that comes with a little bit more experience and probably the role that I'm in in terms of being a leader and uh, captaincy. But um, And now I think I look at the game as a whole, it's so much more competitive. We have a competitive Manchester City squad. We have a competitive England squad. And obviously there was Team GB selection, which we obviously don't know yet. So I'm like, I know I've got to fight for my place and I've got to get, put myself in a a great place to kind of not be ignored and uh, I think that does come a little bit with experience but in terms of work ethic and um, dedication and motivation I think that's been my biggest strength as an athlete throughout my career is that I commit 100% and I give it my all every single day. And and was that there in terms of the when when perhaps the game wasn't quite what it is today in the, in the sense of how it's evolved where Perhaps as you were entering into the game, it, it didn't have that professional pathway that, say, a youngster would now have. No, it didn't have that pathway, definitely not. And I think the opportunities that female footballers had when maybe I was a bit younger were very limited and you were probably only getting the best care that you could get by probably being one of the best players in the country or, or representing your country. So, um, But I think in terms of that mindset, I think the injuries when I was younger probably did try and kind of create that mindset in a way because I can always remember an SNC coach in the North East saying it was right, okay, let's not focus on what you can't do. Let's focus on what we can do. And we focus on that. We, we, we do that and we do as much as we can and then we'll progress every single week. And I think just having that little conversation kind of was like, right, okay, I want to be positive. I want to kind of focus on what I can do and then small goals throughout the week kind of, um, probably allow you to stay motivated because you know you've got something to, to reach the next week but I think there's probably very few players that probably have that mindset in the moment and I think those players that do probably stand out a lot from the rest. Mm. 
And and what's changed for you from your early career? Um, you mentioned before we started recording that you you knew Dawn when you were thirteen or fourteen. So you were clearly in a system at a young age. Um, what what's changed for you? God, everything. I think especially over the last decade or so, like my life's massively changed. I think. Um, we speak about meeting Don Scott at the age of 14 and trialling for England at um, Little Shaw, where you only maybe had one, two camps in a year. You would probably play at training only twice a week with a club that was trying to fight for training facilities. You, you're training until you, until it gets dark because you can't afford to play the, the floodlights. Um, the whole structure and the whole opportunity for women in football has massively changed. I mean, for me... When I started playing football, I knew that I just wanted to play. I thought I was just going to be able to play because I loved it. It was my hobby. Now I'm kind of sitting here talking to you and it's my profession. I, this is what I dedicate my life to. Um, not only just on the pitch, but off the pitch, the stuff that I do commercially. Um, also the fact that I love being a role model to, to young girls. And I think we've got an important job to try and pave the way for the future and kind of leave leave some sort of legacy where they can look up to you and, and want to be you and even better than you when you're older. So I think it's definitely shifted um, with the helps with the help of some major tournaments like the Olympics and the 2015 World Cup has 100% changed the perception of people's opinions, but also how football clubs in England look at us um, as athletes. What, what do you think changed? I'm, I'm, I was sort of scratching my head back in 2015 and 16. What do you think changed? Uh, it just suddenly became, in, in some ways it was sort of similar to the Paralympics in 2012, mm-hmm. where it just went from um, not, people not talking about it to suddenly everyone's engaged. Do you know, what do you think? Why, why do you think that was the case? I always believe success breeds interest. I really do. And I think when we when we went to that 2015 World Cup, our, our ambitions as a squad was to inspire a generation of young female footballers or, or young boy footballers to want to continue playing football or start football and be on a journey with us. And that was ultimately our main target through the whole of the World Cup. But I think the more that the games... And the fact that England hadn't done so well in a in a tournament for a long time, male or female, I think the fact that we were reaching quarterfinals, semifinals, I think kind of everybody was just like, oh my God, England are going to win the World Cup. We're going to do something special. And the fact it was on television helps because people can watch because we're in Canada, even though the time difference was God knows how many hours um, in front of Canada. But I think... Yeah, I think the success of that in terms of how we as footballers played, but also how we were as people kind of rubbed off on a nation. And from there, like you said, it just kind of exploded into everybody appreciating women's football and actually looking at us as footballers rather than just women's footballers. There was certainly something about the character of the team, the individuals, the players, that whether that was in the post-match interviews or, or whether that was the demeanour on the pitch that just felt like these are people that, that we can relate to, connect to, look up to in that sense. Perhaps, as you say, amplified by the semi-final, amplified by the, the, the coverage. Mm-hmm. But the, they, was that idea of inspiring people, was that something that was 
they're deliberately spoken about, woven out as a purpose in the team meetings? Yeah, it was spoke about quite a lot. I mean, even before we left to go to Canada, we knew that that was going to be something that we wanted to do. And we wanted to try and capture the nation in, in different ways. And for us as female footballers to try and encourage more girls to participate in the sport and get more people to watch us in the WSL or for England games was an ultimate goal because ask any footballer, they love playing in front of fans as much as anything. And I think if anything kind of sums up, it's obviously the latest COVID is to play in stadiums that are empty. It's just not the same. And the atmosphere is just totally different to what it is um, in a normal stadium. So, and I think the girls were like that squad in terms of when I look back, I think in terms of personalities we had, we were all very humble we knew where we'd come from. We kept our feet on the ground and we knew that we were there to work hard and we love representing our country. And I feel as though that kind of rubbed off in any interviews or social media activities that we did. And um, and how was it for you as a captain? Um, if I'm not mistaken, 2014, when you first took, took that yeah. role on as a captain. And Steph, do the maths for me. 26? Yeah, 26. Yeah, England captain. 26. Yeah. What did try and try and take your humble hat off? Um, what what were they did they see in you uh, to put you as a twenty six year old captain of your country? I'd like to say that they see my standards that um, I probably set every single day for myself, but I think I'd like to say that I try to set them for everybody else at the same time and and lead by example by. The way that I played and trained, first and foremost, I feel as though I care for my team so much and um, I want to win. I'm a winner. I'm competitive and um, I know that I couldn't win that by myself. I have to have a squad of people around us to achieve what we wanted to achieve. And um, I'd like to think in terms of my behaviour and my attitude was quite consistent in terms of, I think people know what you're going to get from us every single day and that, that consistency was there. So um yeah, I mean, when that actually happens, it's it's a special moment and one that I didn't expect, to be honest. I think, obviously, the fact that you're saying I'm 26, there's a lot more players that were more experienced than me and I'd led their clubs and country previously. So it was a bit of a shock. But um, yeah, my best mess moment in uh, England, uh, in my England career, for sure. You sound like you have a really deep kind of values base that you're drawing upon there. You're talking about leading by example and representing and diligence and commitment there. Um, where, where does that come from, Steph? I think a lot of it comes from my family, to be honest. I think um, I look at my mum and dad and my brother and um, obviously they're the people that obviously first take you to football training. That they, they, they obviously, in terms of the person, they kind of always were like, right, OK, we be humble. We work as hard as we possibly can, whether that's at school, whether that's at university whether that's in any sport that I did when I was younger. And um, I think that winning mentality, obviously, my family's quite big. Um, from my dad's side and my mum's side, we, we, it was always a competitive edge, whether it was football or, or a board game. So I think a lot of my values that I've held for a lot of years are from my family, definitely. But I think when you meet certain people, I mean, take Dawn, for example, in terms of diligence and not missing anything out, I, I 100% think over the last couple of years, especially, I've learned so much from her. I'm 
messenger around every day just to kind of see if I'm doing everything right, if I'm recovering hard enough, am I doing the right things in my training? So you meet people along the way in your career, which you take little bits from and you, you know that works. And I've been so lucky to have worked with so many amazing people uh, on and off the pitch that have probably made us the player that I am today. I reckon you're onto something there, Steph. I reckon you could plot a sporting achievement with the ferociousness with which people play board games. <laughs> I've, I've played board games with Olympic champions and it's just too much. It's too no. much for me. <laughs> <laughs> you should see me and my husband play Monopoly. That's all I'm going to say. Just, just get hold of the oranges. Fine Street, Marlborough, <laughs> the other one. I can't remember what it is. Um, so that's interesting. You, you mentioned a number of uh, people along the way. And we connected through Dawn Scott uh, with a common connection there. Um, what, what sort of, um, in terms of sports science support and advice, what's made the biggest difference for you over the years? Um, I would definitely think the opportunity to train every day has been massive, for, not just for me personally, but for female football in general. I think that's why our game has gone so much better better and it's gone quicker it's gone faster the girls are a lot more physically robust and that's because we've had the opportunity to train every single day and being able to look at our S&C coaches and go right okay what's my weekly plan how do we build up so that we're sharp on a Sunday to play or in pre-season how do we make sure that we're when it comes to the first game of the season we're ready to go so it's developed so much over the last few years because the professionalism of the sport's definitely increased. And I think, like I said before, when it's becoming a bit more competitive, that, that the sports science side of stuff can be definitely the winning edge. I think if you're the best prepared player, both on and off the pitch, whether that's the, the work that you do, but also the recovery you do, I think you, you're going to be in a better position to win more games than you lose. And um, is there anything that you've um, struggled with or um, overly had to question? You think, really, are we doing that? <laughs> is there anything that you've just, <laughs> that's, that's a tough sell to me. You, you've, you've given the, the sports scientists a little bit of a hard time about. Um, to be honest, I think for me in terms of it, I'll do any exercise, like in terms of hard work, um like lifting weights running whatever it might be but I think them exercises that are very low level and you don't really see much benefit because you're not you don't feel as though you're doing anything in your body is something where I'm like I'm not doing that breathing exercises I'm not doing it how 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 is that going to make a difference to my performance and I think especially the start of this rehab I think I was very much like a closed book I was like no this is not going to work this is not going to work and um, I've actually started doing Pilates just to, more for a, a mental switch off and just to have a bit of variety in my training. And now I'm kind of seeing the benefits of actually you'd probably need a bit of both. You need to be able to push your body to the limit and try and get fitter every single day. But ultimately, it does need that wind down time and it needs probably a little bit of a, a chill and a bit switched off, and which is something that, for me, I struggle to switch off mentally. Um and that's definitely given me, especially an hour in the week where I'm just focusing on me and just kind of relaxing and knowing that hopefully I'll benefit in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think that's so important, isn't it? In that sense, certainly as you as you say, you, you, as you're 
uh, you're starting to become more discerning as a, uh, a senior mm-hmm. athlete, I'll call it, I'll say that. Um, just taking every idea on board can potentially overwhelm you, can't it, in that sense of thinking, which are the ones that really help me and which are the ones that perhaps don't or that I might be open to experiencing in that sense? Yeah, I think for me, I think that's like, I look at the young players today and um, I'm like, girls, just make sure you try everything. And, that's just, and I'm like, say, for example, a recovery method, just try ice bath, try compression, try massage, try this and you'll find out what works for you because it took me a while to get to that position where I knew what worked for me on a match day minus one and maybe the night after a match what would help me recover better and it's a bit of trial and error but yeah I think for me as long as you've tried everything then it's all about being a bit smart and getting all the advice that you need from the people and the professionals around you and actually asking as many questions to know what actually works and I think I've found my formula where I feel as though I can play every two, three days and be fresh. And But it's taken a while for us to get there. And um, I know that a lot of my teammates around my age have done exactly the same. But I see the likes of the young players coming through and they probably just roll their eyes at what they're supposed to do. But I'm like, girls, it works. Whether it's a, a turmeric shot in the morning to try and help recovery or um, a smoothie in the afternoon just to kind of get your body full of energy, I think. Um, you just got to trial and error it and just see what works best for the athlete themselves. Some echoes of maybe Chris Rosimus little uh, influence <laughs> yeah, there. Chris, yeah. um, we've, we've had Chris on the podcast so, and Chris, I love Chris. He's, he's brilliant. You, we've sort of drifted into that sort of individual focus there a little bit, but um, what was the difference in the team from subsequent world cups to 2015 in terms of belief? Yeah, I think in terms of previous tournaments of 2015, I think we had um, a very good structure and we knew all the work that we'd done before. And especially when Mark came in in 2015, we worked so hard off the pitch to to build a certain culture, to build a rapport with each other where we knew that if we were going to go and play whoever whoever we did we knew that we had each other's backs and ultimately we love playing for our countries and we really believed in what the manager did in terms of tactics and that just doesn't happen overnight this happened over a lot of work over whether it was on calls away from camp or off-site days or on camp trying to build that that team culture where we were going to fight and we were going to do everything that we could to win so I think naturally as an athlete you know if you've if you've prepared well the belief naturally becomes even more instilled in in yourself whereas I feel as though maybe previous tournaments did we believe our preparation was the best probably not so ultimately always trying to fight back that belief even though we had good players so I think it happens over a long period of time and we were fortunate enough to have had that time to kind of build all and instill all them beliefs within the squad. And and was that, an, did that involve, I guess, having some tough conversations between you in terms of, do we do we all believe? Because there's sort of saying it and there's genuinely believing it and, and feeling that. And that um, interesting, that psychology of a winning performance, you, you almost have to go onto the start line or cross the, cross the white line into 
we believe just a little bit more than <laughs> we're ready yeah. at culturing that belief so that you're not, you're just squashing those doubts that get really noisy when it, when the pressure comes on. Yeah. I think there was a lot of difficult conversations to be had over them years prior to that world cup and actually after. And I always remember we played uh, Germany in 2014, the first time we played at Wembley as an England team. I think we got beat 3-0 and we, were, we weren't we were good. We were just literally, it could have been probably more than that. And I can always remember a team meeting um, the next camp and we were analysing the goals that we conceded and we analysed one goal for probably about an hour and a half because nobody would kind of accept that they were in the wrong or that they did they made the wrong run or we, we pressed the ball incorrectly or whatever it might be. And there, there are certain turning points within a squad because actually you show for one how much it means because people want to be seen as doing right for the team and what they believed in. But ultimately, we conceded a goal. So how are we kind of going to move on from that? And from then, it it's just sparked more conversations about football, first and foremost. And people were able to kind of go, well, I think you should have done this. And people actually accepting it. I think we're quite good as girls to talk and kind of bring points out. But I think that acceptance is massive. And over that period of time, we, we kind of just said, right, OK, well, it's not personal. It's just about what's best for the team. And showing that vulnerability really made the squad even closer together. Mm, okay, putting the team first as opposed to individual blame or pinpointing any individual roles. Yeah, I think for me, in terms of team sports, I think if we have that mentality and people think like that, then the more success- successful the team's going to be because I think I said at the beginning of the podcast was you can't win anything by yourself. When I'm not in an individual sport. It's not going to just be me. I've got, say, another 20 teammates and staff members that we all have to be on the same page and we all have to be wanting the same thing. And um, to do that, you need to be in it together to kind of sort problems out. But ultimately, like we said before, is it's to win and to, to enjoy it as well. And and how, how are you under that sort of spotlight of pressure? Would if if I if we spoke to you like the minutes before a match or even at half time, what would be the difference between this this and the conversation that we're having now? Um, I would like to say that m- me in a game or like my pre- preparation before a game is very samey. I'm like I like to have a structure. I like to have a routine, and I'm very much in the zone. Which sometimes I can feel myself going just to relax a little bit. But then I think if I relax, I don't feel as well prepared. So it's trying to find that balance of what works for me and obviously over the last few years I think I've found the routine that I like um, I'm not one of the one of the girls that goes on the pitch before the game I like just to get in the change room I like to get my stuff ready um, get my ankle strapped whatever that might be and kind of stick to that same routine and it's half time I think a biggest strength is mine is my communication I, I'm generally a good talker on the pitch and I think people look to me if the manager comes in goes what do you think girls or whatever it might be it's normally me that speaks and I think I've learned over the last couple of seasons that it's not always about me having to speak I don't have to put my pressure on myself to speak all the time we've got other people that can and are feeling different things in the game so I think when the pressure comes I think I like just to kind of revert back to type and revert back to the basics which is can we can we run are we running hard enough are we playing the simple passes are we doing the basics well and Maybe because that's the type of player that I am and the position that I am. I think if you nail them, then you give yourself half a chance. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I don't know many performers that don't benefit from simplifying mm. under those sorts of conditions of of rather than it, when it gets perhaps a bit too flighty or it's too nervous or there's lots going on. The the that simple strategy, that ability to kind of draw down to the they say the basics. And if there's something to add from that, then great. Yeah. But that's a good, great place to start. Yeah, definitely. So 2020 slash 2021 games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How, how's that been kind of managing that in your in your head or physically too? I guess you've been able to at least crack on with, with playing, except for the injury, of yeah. course. But how's that move and the uncertainty that's come with that? Yeah, I mean, it has been a massive year in terms of uncertainty for everybody, I think. Um not least athletes. I think for athletes, they like structure. They know what they want to know what they're doing. I think the sport that we're in, we've pretty much mapped out a whole year schedule before the years even arrive. So I think for us going into this season, especially at Manchester City, we had a lot of change. We obviously had a new manager and we had COVID to deal with. We had a lot of new players. So it has been a weird season in a way in terms of you're having to constantly adapt and um, probably change the way that you are in a way to kind of adapt to how the world is running at the moment. And um, But I think for us, I think we've done really well in the sense of we've kind of, OK, we've had to adapt and it's been a bit difficult at times. But like the things that we can control is how we train and how we apply ourselves every single day and we've been lucky enough to play the sport that we love even though in empty stadiums which has been a bit strange but um, we've been able to complete the season we've had everybody's fitting well uh, which is the main thing and um, it's provided challenges but I think it's an experience that we'll never forget and hopefully learn from in the future and um, and have you started thinking about specific preparations for Japan um, we're talking, we're talking end of July. We're talking a uh, Japan's hot, <laughs> you know, the 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 physical preparation as well as the, I guess, the uncertainty of having, I suppose, COVID protocols uh, r- surrounding sports and and so on and, and and people moving around the world. Yeah, I think obviously we've been briefed as athletes um, in terms of what potentially it's going to look like in Japan and for testing for um obviously we're going to be confined quite a lot um i think for us to be able to know that before we go kind of mentally you kind of like setting yourself up that's going to be a little bit different to say 2012 olympics in london um but i think you still have that kind of mentality that fingers crossed you're getting picked for olympic games and you just want this one to go ahead because everybody was so disappointed for it to get cancelled last year and in terms of training and our preparation as athletes, I think the amount of supplements um, that we are on to try and make sure that we are ready to go to Tokyo and we're in the best condition. I know that we'll probably do a lot of acclimatisation stuff before we go there when the squads are actually announced. So um, I think there's a lot of ideas in terms of obviously it's going to be quite humid over there. Well, very humid and it's mm. going to be a lot different to what we've played in over here. So trying our best to get prepared for them conditions and um, be the best physically conditioned team that we can be. Yeah, amazing. 
Well, so, and so it's got some similarities to, to London in terms of goal scoring. Eh? <laughs> oh, God, I think that was a bit of a freak <laughs> tournament for me. But yeah, I, I fingers crossed, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, well, maybe that's the way to be doing it. Knock some long-range free kicks in like you were in, in London. I think that's my best chance, free kicks, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I get I get a real sense from, um, I guess, doing some of the background, reading about you, but also listening to you, that that being a, being a role model, that living by uh, example is important how how important is is that to you in terms of giving back to the community giving back to the sport yeah it's massive I think um fortunate enough to have had an unbelievable career and hopefully still got a few more years left but um I love the sport so much I think whenever I do an interview a podcast like this I try and like leave little messages if in case young girls are listening and um, even if it's like one little bit of advice because I can remember when I was younger I used to listen to David Beckham, Stephen Gerrard Michael Owen and you take one little bit from then and you try and implement it into your training or whether it's the way that you play so I think not just me but the whole in terms of the whole England squad, Team GB uh, Man City squad we've got we've got to give back some way because we live the life that we do we're very fortunate enough to do that and we were young girls once before and we never had that opportunity to look up to people. So I think we do a pretty good job in terms of the messages that we do kind of reach out to young girls and boys uh, and people to try and allow them to live the dream that they want to live. Um, and I'll hopefully continue to do that by playing as well as I possibly can, um, being humble and just working hard um, and everything that I do. Oh, it's amazing to hear, but it, but it's also, I guess, when when the world's going a bit crazy like this, as it is at the moment, it's sort of what sport there for. Well, it's you know, it's, it's not going to affect the health of the nation necessarily, but it certainly can give people a lift, can't it? And for people to to say, I want to be like that, or they're representing us, that's so so critical. Yeah, it's massive. I think, and I always remember when the first live football game came back in in COVID, and I think it was a Bundesliga game, and. I think everybody was just desperate to watch live football or live sport. And yeah, I think we don't realise how big sport is in this country, especially in all over the world, because um, it does bring people together, whether you play it or you watch it. Um, it's it, it breeds conversation. People speak about it. And yeah, I think when we're playing the sport that we are living and we're doing OK, it, it obviously makes you happy inside. So you just want to kind of keep going and keep being that role model for everybody. So you mentioned the Olympics. What, what's your focus beyond that? Have you, have you, do you stretch your horizons beyond that? Or, or do you have like a little special jar that you think, well, I've had a thought beyond that. I'll put it there and I'll think about it one day. Um, no, I think I'd be, I think as a footballer, you kind of have little chunks of time where you look at and you kind of go, right, okay, well, after the Olympics, we've got the Euros at home and um, even though I'll be 34 then, um, I'd still aim in mine. I still feel as though I've got a lot to give to my England team. And we've got a new manager coming in, so that'll be a, probably a conversation to have with her once um, the Olympics is out the way. And um, I think I'm not stupid enough to know that I can go, yeah, and play in the 2023 uh, World Cup in Australia because, look, there's there's lots of things happening in football. I know that I'm not getting any younger. Um 
but I still believe in myself to be able to represent both my country and Manchester City for at least a couple more years. So I think the mindset that I'm in now is get to the Olympics, enjoy that love. The experience is unbelievable if it's anything to go by London 2012 and um, just embrace that, come back, recharge again and then probably set some more goals for the next season. Hmm. Oh, that's amazing to hear. I've just I just picked up on that one comment about you mentioning, you know, guiding the youngsters and encouraging them to do this, encouraging them to do that. And I just heard a little bit of coachiness in there. I don't know if that was too too much. But... <laughs> no, no coaching for me yet. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, leading by example for now. Yeah. Steph, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. No, thank so you. So fascinating. Fascinating to hear about how you approach the, the sport, how it's evolved and how you've evolved, but also how you've stayed true and um, and a real well, a real role model for people to to look to. So thank you so oh, much. Oh no, Steph. thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steph. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Steph Houghton Two. You can follow me on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve. And we're on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram under Supporting Champions. If you're enjoying the podcast, then it'd be great if you take just two minutes just to give us an honest review on iTunes. It really helps the show and it gets the conversations in front of other people that might be interested too.